All right, Greg Rogers, welcome to the Talking Headways podcast. Well, thanks for having me. We're at the Moving On Conference. We've got ourselves, uh, or you got Yousef a beer, yes. hanging out. It's the end of the conference. People are walking by. You can probably hear some of them. What did you think of the show? We were both here last year and had a great time. I think really what's great about this conference is a lot of transportation conferences, mobility conferences sound the same. But what's a little bit different here is that there's more of an innovative approach that Michelin has been taking this conference. And something I've really enjoyed, being able to hear voices that we usually don't in the transportation field, and especially international leaders, environment, transportation, sustainability. Do you think it's too auto-focused? Or? I think it was interesting how auto-focused it was, especially for a sustainability conference and mobility conference. Of course, they had demos where you can ride uh, bicycles different sizes, but it did seem like there was a huge focus on cars, which makes sense for Michelin, of course, but it does seem like there would be, there's a big opening here to really focus on new forms of mobility, like e-scooters and e-pedal assist bikes. What was your favorite part of the uh, proceedings? Did you have a favorite session or a favorite topic that you co- that they covered? You know, one of the things that is always interesting about any of these conferences is when Hyperloop and VTOL's uh, vertical takeoff landing vehicles or quote-unquote flying cars come up. And just like last year, they had one of those sessions. And I think that what Michelin is trying to do is give voice to a lot of different ideas. But of course, whenever we start talking about Hyperloop and VTOL's, we quickly lose sight of the actual challenges in front of us and the things we can solve right now. And what are some of those things that are kind of like too far afield or too far out there right now that they're kind of the techno op, the, the hype train is taking off? <laughs> well, I think the biggest one is definitely VTOLs. One of the things that's always neglected is whenever folks are considering VTOLs is that we have an incredible challenge in managing our airspace already in the United States across the world. And we haven't even integrated sufficient drone traffic management or UAS traffic management in the U.S. And so whenever we start talking about uh, transporting people with VTOLs, flying cars, we need to think about the infrastructure challenges and also is that the lifestyle that we want? We always have VTOLs flying over us all the time. So a little bit of realism there is needed, I think. So empty airspace isn't the only thing you need to have a flying car? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredibly complex. And to think that you know, we can solve all these problems just with introducing technology is really the issue with techno-optimism. There are people who've been working on these issues for a long time. I think that there's a lot that can be learned from the government by the tech sector folks, but I think that the tech sector also needs to be listening to the government because these folks have been managing airspace issues for a long, long time. So you were at Eno, and now you're at SAFE. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and the program and everything? I'm currently at Securing America's Future Energy, or SAFE, Director of Government Relations and Mobility Innovation, which might be the longest title in D.C. right now. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm focusing on communicating the challenges that the tech sector and automotive sector is facing. I mean, integrating aut- autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, connected vehicles, specifically through truck platooning for connected vehicles, and what regulations we need to have in place there. And so trying to strike the balance between private sector innovation and the need for public safety is really what we're focused on right now. And you also have a podcast. I am one of the co-hosts of the Mobility Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> That's a nice, <laughs> nice plug. What's the hot topic in the AV space right now? One of the biggest challenges we're facing in AVs, of course, you know, there was tragic death Blaine Herzberg on March 18th when an Uber vehicle struck her. We're quickly learning after the NTSB report was released that this was caused by Uber programming to avoid false negatives, or actually false positives, which resulted in a false negative. Sensors picked her up, but the car didn't end up stopping because of how the vehicle software was designed. So right now, the, the question is, how are we going to ensure there are adequate safety regulations in place, or at least some sort of standard or procedure, without stifling innovation? 
And this has came up again and again. I mean, this came up at the conference constantly. I'm sure you heard it about a hundred times. Everyone's talking about the need for doing this, but there isn't really much room for discussion because each side has sort of staked their ground. You know, the industry has said, you know, we, we need really, really limited uh, regulations or none at all. Or the public sector has said we need a lot of them. But I think over the past year, especially, we've seen sort of this movement to realizing that there is a middle ground here and there is a way that we can create a flexible framework for this. So right now I'm really involved in um, the autonomous vehicle bills in Congress, AV Start in the Senate, and self-drive in the House, both of which I think are a good middle ground here. Yeah, and what's going on with those? What's going on at the federal level? It's a million-dollar question. <laughs> Here is one million dollars. So. Yes. <laughs> For those who are listening, Jeff did just hand me a million dollars. <laughs> what happened is that, you know, in, in this Congress, it's very hard to get any bipartisan support. But the House bill passed last year unanimously through subcommittee and then committee and then the full House. That, that hasn't happened with any bill in Congress this year. And then the Senate bill, AV Start, passed out of committee unanimously. But now we have five Democratic senators currently holding it up. A lot of this is coming from the consumer groups, trial lawyers who want more protections against preemption. Because what this is doing is it's, it's actually reinforcing the framework we've always had. The federal government regulates motor vehicles, how they're designed, how they're constructed. And then states have a whole lot more responsibilities, building their roads and uh, setting and enforcing traffic laws. And so there's been a lot of miscommunication about it. So I'm really working on trying to communicate what these bills are actually doing get past some of the, the fear-mongering that we've seen go, going around. And what's happening in, like, say, places like California, where the CPUC, uh, the Public Utilities Commission, is trying to regulate the you know, self-driving vehicles pretty heavily? Great question. Um, I was in California last week for the California Public Utilities Commission meeting. There's, this goes back to one of the issues with existing regulations, is that California Department of Motor Vehicles has already set standards for how automated vehicles can be determined to be roadworthy. But California PUC was in this interesting position where they set all the regulations around taxis and TNCs like Uber and Lyft. And so they took their authority in order to create some deployment strategies, deployment guidelines that are really restrictive. For example, if you want to operate an automated vehicle, even if you're already approved as roadworthy by the DMV, each vehicle still has to be in operation just circling around the state for 90 days before you can even start operating. And for a state like California that wants to reduce congestion, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, reduce our fuel consumption, it doesn't make a lot of sense to make each vehicle circle the state for 90 more days, even after the DMV has already said that you know, the system is certified. So instead, what we're hoping that California will do is try and certify systems, allow for systems that have been certified to automatically put their cars on the road, um, rather than making each vehicle continue circling. Because most vehicles have the same software, the same hardware, the same sensors so interesting because, you know, thinking about the basic, you know, underlying hardware or, and software as a whole versus each individual vehicle that it's outfitted with. Is that realistic to think about it as a system rather than as an individual vehicle? I don't know, but I mean, it's just, I, I like the idea, but I just, I'm wondering if there are any drawbacks or if there's anything that somebody might pull up that's like, no, this is the problem with that specific idea. Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic question. Um, and that came up during the hearing last week. One thing to remember is that these systems are being designed by companies that have a massive stake in this. They're required to automatically carry $5 million of insurance. So we're not seeing companies come in that are you know, fooling around with this. They know that there's their lives on the line. And for the most part, these companies have been very, very responsible. So these systems that are being installed, the hardware that's being installed, the, the software that's being installed, are all pretty uniform across the fleet. So that's not as much of a concern. But what the concern is is slowing this down because the fact is that we lost 40,000 lives on the road last year. 
and we don't want to have that happen again. We need to be making every move we can to reduce the amount of lives lost due to traffic fatalities. Uh, is this pushing an inertia of four-door vehicles driving around that we already have and are already clogging up cities? I think that's a good question. I mean, you know, one of the fears is that we're going to end up with sort of a uh, vehicular apocalypse. We end up with AVs, someone taking their AV into work from the suburbs, going to the city, and then they send it right back because they figured out that it's cheaper to send it home rather than to park it and pay for parking in the city, and then call it back. I mean, what we would end up having is basically not two rush hours, quote-unquote, but four rush hours, maybe eternal rush hours. Um, if like that Doctor just, Who episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> if vehicles are just constantly uh, circulating. So, But that's where I think state and local policymakers can make those decisions, make those calculations. How should we be able to be pricing our roads? How should we be maybe enacting congestion pricing like New York City is doing? I think those are important questions we should be looking at as well. What about all of this is the most interesting to you? Like what gets you excited about, you know, going to work in the morning and, and thinking about these types of issues? The way I got into AVs actually is three years ago, I was a military contract lobbyist and it wasn't really my favorite gig. Really didn't suit the Berkeley guy. <laughs> and um, one of my friends called me back in, oh God, it was, I guess it was December of 20, 2014 actually. And he said, Greg, why do you think about self-driving cars? This is 2014. I mean, Google self-driving car just been in public eye for a couple of years. I said, well, Patrick, I, I don't. <laughs> but over the course of an hour, he's really sold me on you know, what the meaning of this is. We can save a lot of lives that are lost due to traffic collisions. That's 40,000 lives every year, 94% of which are caused by human error. But also there's an environmental impact. There's a great study done by Professor Dan Work down at uh, University of South Carolina showed that we can reduce congestion by about 40% and fuel use by about 40% just with 10% of the fleet being automated which is huge. I mean, just looking at the larger implications, the system implications, that's what gets me excited. What year is this? Like, what year are we talking about in the future? That's the other million dollar question. So, Here's I, a million more oh, dollars, sir. thought you were out. <laughs> um, I think what we have to realize is that a lot of hype has been built up about AVs. As someone really eloquently said at the TRB annual meeting this year, it's not a revolution, it's an evolution. We're going to see these technologies introduced very slowly, but also we're already seeing the benefits of this research. The autom automatic emergency braking in vehicles, AEB, assisted cruise control. I mean, we're really, adaptive cruise control, either. we're really seeing a lot of these technologies already be beneficial, already helpful in a lot of ways. But it's still another, I think, 5, 10, 15 years from seeing some sort of meaningful deployment. And what is the role of artificial intelligence and the push towards that type of technology in, in, all, on, on, in all of this and the move towards autonomous vehicles? One of the interesting things here is that the research that's being done on AVs is actually giving a lot of information to those who are developing AI, um, sort of as, as standalone, standalone services like Google, is actually using some of the information that they're getting from the Waymo cars to inform how they're looking at health issues like detecting cancer, which is really fascinating because what they've done is they've use the machine learning algorithms they use in sensors for vehicles, like from the LiDAR and from the cameras, and use that machine learning to apply that to detecting cancer in patients. It's really a feedback me mechanism here, and AVs are just part of this larger ecosystem of AI. Interesting, interesting. What's the next move for these vehicles? Is it, is it getting all the regulation passed? Is it just a ton more testing? Is, is it trying to go into a different space, into transportation that's not a four-door vehicle. I know I harp on that a little bit, but you know I do like my buses. No, and I'm on, I'm on board with that. And it's D, all of the above. One of the great things we're seeing is that USDOT is developing their next version of their automated vehicles policy. Be released in August or September of this year. And what they've done is they've got every single mode of transportation together, on-road transportation that is. And the Federal Transit Administration, the FTA, actually has this really excellent and bold research plan called the uh, Strategic Transit Automation Research Plan, Star Plan. 
going to have seven demonstration of how to use, actually use automated buses in service. I'm all the way up from automated shuttles, which we more or less have on the road now, like EasyMile and TransDev are using, I'm all the way up to autonomous BRT services. So I think there's a huge opportunity for transit that we're really not looking at enough that I'm excited for companies to start pivoting to. Awesome. Well, is there anything else I'm missing? I'd like to hear about your favorite part of the conference, besides <laughs> hanging out with me. Besides hanging out with you. <laughs> It was really fun. I am kind of wondering about the focus on automobiles and how we can kind of bring in different modes. And now I've got a camera in my face because they're, they're watching this, <laughs> <laughs> do this podcast episode. But, you know, I, I'm really fascinated by the fact that a tire company like Michelin mm -hmm. is brings a bunch of people together to talk about sustainable mobility. And I think this year has been even more better at, at, at talking about the equity issue mm -hmm. and talking about some of the issues that sustainability and stuff that we care about versus being kind of pie in the sky and a little bit super uh, techno uh, solutionist. And I think last year there was more techno solutionism than there was this year. And this year got a little better and I think probably next year will be even better and it'll move in that direction. And I'm, I'm also interested that Michelin as a tire company, you know, the changes in automobiles, for the most part, doesn't seem to affect them too much. I mean, they're going to make rubber tires, you know, whatever the future of tires is. They're going to make that because you're always going to need wheels. Right. right. You're always going to need something to roll on until we find out, you know, how to do hovering right. uh, <laughs> pulsar lifts in Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars universe. I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to see how a car-oriented company like Michelin pushes this conversation forward because they are in that kind of strange intermediate space of we're providing you know, something for the car, but the car is something that is going to evolve, but we're still wheels mm -hmm. and tires. Right. And, you, and you've been sort of harping on the point that there's this big focus on cars. I think that's the case in a lot of transportation conferences. What do you think the real focus should look like? Should, should we be looking at all modes? Should we be focused more on transit? How do we, and also how do we encourage whatever that might be? Well, I think just having a discussion about equity, about yesterday, Oliver Moore, who is a writer at the Globe and Mail, was on the stage and he was asking about the unbanked, mm -hmm. um, you know, people that don't have cell phones, that how are they going to get into this economy? How are they going to get this, into this mobility paradigm? And I think if we get people to start talking about those issues, I think that brings it forward and it makes more people realize that this is an issue. I mean, people driving around their cars in the suburbs might not realize that somebody without a cell phone there's actually a lot of people without cell phones or, you know, smartphones for that matter. They might have a flip phone, but they might not have a smartphone. And that's a big issue because then they don't have access to those uh, technologies in the future. So, you know, those types of issues are going to come up. I think there is a lot of discussion about sustainability from a circular economy type of idea. There was somebody yesterday talking about recycling CO2. I personally would like it if we just stopped talking about CO2 and like got rid of it altogether. And we did, we went to electric. It wasn't all about, you know, recycling the current fuel paradigm. Mm -hmm. And so we can stop, you know, start talking about better, cleaner air. And then obviously tires are something that creates some of the particulate matter. It's not just the gasoline burning. It's the tires mm -hmm. and the brake dust and all that stuff that creates particulates that causes the lung issues and kids near freeways and those types of things. And, you know, transportation infrastructure, if we slow down a little bit too, we might be able to get to the point where we aren't killing 40,000 people a year. So I think those are a bunch of the things that I like that the discussions are starting to happen here about. I think it could be more diverse. I think it was a little bit white. But for the most part, I think it's heading in the right direction. I think their heart is in the right place. I think they're moving in the right direction. And I see the future where they are talking about the issues that do matter. It might not necessarily be transit and bikes like I usually talk about. Unlike some of my other colleagues, I'm not like in full agreement that you know cars should just disappear off the earth. They have mm -hmm. value, especially in places where really access is hard to do without it. So right. you're from the Central Valley in California. 559. Five, <laughs> it's a little bit tough. 
uh, it's a little bit tough from that perspective to think of a, a Bakersfield or a Tulare without cars mm-hmm. um, just because of, and, and maybe they'll get there eventually and maybe AVs will be the answer or maybe, you know, we don't know. But at this moment, I still think, you know, automobiles are going to be here, fortunately or unfortunately. So we have to talk about them. They have to be part of the discussion and think that here, this place, and they're talking about it. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think we we want to avoid sort of a hillbilly elegy sort of situation for transportation. Yeah, because a lot of the urbanist and sort of utopian ideas of transportation really lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of communities where cars are needed, and so we need to solve for that. Whether it's encouraging electric vehicles, there was a all electric Ford F one fifty here at this conference. And I think that's great. And looking at what those solutions might be, without you know, turning the tide entirely against the things that will achieve the goals that we have. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was fun. It's a nice conference. It's really well put together as a plug. I mean, you know, both of us, they were kind enough to fly us here and pay our our hotels and all that stuff. So I don't want to turn it into an endorsement because they did, they were sponsoring us to be here. But I think that a lot of folks, if, if they're interested in coming and seeing something a little bit different from what they might normally see, it's a place to be. It's a conference that has discussions going on that are really interesting. It's also in a, in another country. I mean, we're in Montreal, right. and which is an amazing city, by the way. Beautiful and, city. And the poutine is really amazing. The I poutine went last is amazing. Night. You went uh, last night? I went last night to get some, and really late at night, but it was really <laughs> good. So I enjoyed that. Yeah. And I mean, if nothing else, come for the awkward conversations where the, the Quebecois, they'll start in French, and we just stumble <laughs> around as Americans back in exactly. English somehow. I, I know my bonjour, and I know my merci, and that's about it. I think I fake them out enough to where they start speaking to me in French, and then I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I don't. I, I can't, <laughs> no, never mind. I can't, I, can't, I can't speak French, so. Well, Greg, thanks for uh, coming on, and, and uh, thanks for hanging out this week, and hopefully we'll get to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers.